0: Well, let me welcome our West Campus as we begin a new series this morning that we've entitled Left Behind. It's more than a movie. I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Let me ask you a question. Who saw the Left Behind movie this weekend? If you saw the movie, raise your hand. (laughs) A lot of people. Who was planning on seeing the movie? I know that I am. I'm planning on seeing it this afternoon. Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series has sold over 65 million copies since the first book came out in 1995. 65 million copies. That's a lot of books. And what that tells us is that there has always been a curiosity. There has always been a fascination with the end times. We want to know what is going to happen. We want to know how it's going to happen. And we want to know when it's going to happen. But that's nothing new. People of every generation have wanted to know their future regardless of what their spiritual background may be. This has led some to consult psychics. It's led others to read and study their horoscopes, and it's led many others to to do all kinds of strange things as they try to determine their future and the future of mankind. But the only place that is always 100% accurate, 100% of the time, when it comes to foretelling the future, is the Bible, God's Word. Now, the Bible is composed of 31,124 verses. Some of you are going to go home this afternoon and and check that out to see if that's true. 31,124 verses. Of those verses, 8,352 deal with prophecy. 27% of the Word of God deals with prophecy. Now, some of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. Prophecies about, about Israel going into captivity and then being delivered from Egypt. Prophecies about, about Judah being taken into captivity in Babylon and then returning again to Jerusalem. Prophecies about the coming Messiah, His birth, His life, His betrayal, and even His death. You see, if we want to know what the future holds for us, what we need to do is not consult a psychic. It's not read our horoscope. It's not to play among the tea leaves. What we need to do is we need to look at God's Word and see what God's Word has to say. Because it's all right to be curious about our future. It's okay to want to know what's going to happen in the future, even Jesus' disciples wanted to know. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Jesus left the temple and, and walking away, when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to his buildings, they wanted him to look at the splendor of the temple. Jesus said, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, the disciples wanted to know when this wicked, evil world, this unjust world would end. And when Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. Because the disciples believed with all their heart that Jesus was that coming Messiah. Now, there have been a lot of people throughout the ages who have tried to predict when the end would come. In 1988, Edgar Wisnot published a book. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. Back in that time, I was sent a free copy of that book. Guess where is it? I don't know. I threw it away. Because 1988 came, and 1988 went, and the rapture did not occur, and Edgar Wisnot was wrong. Harold Camping, who was a radio preacher, first wrote a book predicting the Lord's return on September of 1994. It didn't happen. He waited a while, and then he said that the Lord Jesus would return on May the 21st, 2011, it didn't happen. He said that he had made a slight miscalculation that it would happen on October the 21st, 2011. It didn't happen. He quit predicting, and he died. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness movement, predicted the end of the world in 1914, 1915, and 1918. His followers then predicted the end of the world in 1925, 1932, 1941, 1975, and 1994. Guess what? Every one of them was wrong. There were many people that that thought the world was going to end on December the 21st, 2012. There was even a blockbuster movie that came out about that. And they thought this based upon the fact that the Mayans quit putting numbers on calendars on that date. And they assumed that since they quit putting numbers on calendars, that certainly the end of the world was going to come on that date. But, but that date came, and nothing happened, and we are still here. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36. He said, No one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Did you get that? No one. Absolutely no one knows the day or the hour. Not, Not any man, not any angels, not even the Son of Man. You see, we cannot know the day or the hour, but here's what we can know we can know the season. We can know the season of the times. I want you to look in your Bible at Matthew 24, verses 32 and 33. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, the things that Jesus is going to tell us in Matthew 24, When you see all these things, you know that it is near. It is right at the door. You see, you can look at a tree, and if you know what you are looking for, you can tell what season we are in. And Jesus said, as we look at the seasons of time and the events that are taking place, we can tell where we are in God's timetable. And that's what Jesus deals with in Matthew 24. And and then in the parallel passages in in Mark 13 and Luke 21, he gives us a picture of what the future will look like and and what the end times will look like. And he gives us a picture of, of events that will take place 40 years into the future all the way to the end of time. Because you recall the disciples said, tell us when this will happen. When will all of the stones of the temple be thrown down? When is that going to take place? And then they said, when are you going to come and set up your kingdom? And when is the end going to come? And so understand, when we look at Matthew 24, we are looking at a passage of scripture that gives us a picture of the future But it's a progressive picture of the future. And as Jesus gives us this picture that deals with events of of the days that we are living in today. It it deals with the time of the tribulation. It it deals with when Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom. it, It deals with all of that. Jesus gives us some truths that we need to hear very clearly. First of all, he told us this, we need to learn how to discern the signs. If we're going to be prepared, if we're going to be ready for what's going to take place, we need to learn how to discern the times. And as Jesus told us about the times of the end, he tells us the first thing we need to look for is spiritual confusion. He said in the end times there will be spiritual confusion. Confusion. Notice what he said in verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You see, as the end draws near, there will be a proliferation of false messiahs, antichrists, and false teachers that will lead to the final antichrist. There will be an antichrist that rules on this planet. But the Bible tells us that today there are antichrists, little a, there are false teachers, there are false messiahs, there are false prophets. John said it this way in his first letter. He said, this is the last hour and as you have heard that the antichrist has come and even now many antichrists have already come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. Peter said this, he said, but there will also be false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly, and that's important, secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. You see, as we move closer to the end, people will be easily deceived. People will be led to believe all kinds of things. Understand, When we move toward the end, the problem isn't that people don't believe anything. The problem is that people believe anything. And people believe everything. In a recent study of evangelical Christians, it was reported that 57%, 57% of evangelical Christians said that many religions lead to heaven. Evangelical Christians are supposed to be those who believe the Bible, who believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And yet, of evangelical Christians, 57% say there are many roads that lead to heaven. Worldwide, the overwhelming majority of people believe that all roads lead to heaven. Even though Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, And no man comes to the Father except by me. And so there will be spiritual confusion in the last days. And then Jesus said there will be global conflicts. Verses 6 and 7. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that, that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I recently read that there have been more wars fought in the 20th century than the rest of human history. Since 1945 and the end of World War II, our world has only seen three weeks of peace. Three weeks without some major war or major conflict. We've had the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the the Six-Day War of Israel, the Gulf War, the, the war in Afghanistan. We've had a number of different conflicts, 250 major conflicts throughout the world since the end of World War II. At any moment, a regional conflict can escalate into a world war. That's the world that we're living in. And understand... That all of these wars that we see today are only leading to that one final war. And then Jesus said there will be natural catastrophes. Verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places today. Over 41,000 people will die of starvation this year. 41,000 people. That's 28 people every minute. 2 billion people... Will go to bed hungry every night. Two billion people in some places, entire nations are being ravaged because of famine and starvation. And then he talks to us about earthquakes. In the last 20 years, earthquakes have increased four times the amount that, that they were happening in the early 1900s. We average a major earthquake. Every four days, somewhere around the world. Since 2000, there have been five major earthquakes. Since 2000, there have been five major earthquakes that have killed over 50,000 people. One of them killed 250,000 people. One of them killed an estimated 316,000 people. All from an earthquake. But then notice what Jesus said in verse 8. He said, all these are the beginning of birth pains. And so what he says is, as we see these things, this is the beginning of birth pains. Now, I've never been in labor. But my wife has been in labor four times. And it is always a fun event for me. It has never been that fun of an event for her. For you ladies who have gone through labor, you know that as labor begins, there are some signs that show that you are in labor. But as the labor continues, the pain intensifies and it increases in its amount. And so it intensifies in his pain and, and the labour pains come more and more often. And what Jesus is saying here is that these are signs that you are in labour, and, and as you are in labour, you will see these things happening more and more frequently, and you will see them getting more and more devastating as time goes on. But then notice what he says He said that's the beginning of the birth pains. In verse 9, he says there will be terrible persecution. He said, then you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Today, 100 million Christians in 65 countries suffer persecution. 100 million Christians in 65 countries. From the year eighty thirty to 2000, about 70 million people were killed because of their faith. That's a whole lot of people, isn't it? But since the 20th century began, over 45 million people have been killed because of their faith. In the last 114 years, 45 million people have been put to death around the world because of their faith. All around the world today, Christians are being put in prison. They are losing their their livelihood. They are being shot. They are being beheaded. They are literally being crucified. All because of the fact that they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that it's going to get worse. You see, the problem with most of us today is we've never experienced this. We read about it. We see it on the news depending on what news channel we watch. But we haven't experienced it. And so it's hard for us to believe that this persecution is a reality. But hear my heart. It's coming here. And you better get ready. This leads us to the next sign that Jesus tells us. He says there's going to be a turning away. Verses 10 through 13. He said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. As the persecution intensifies, as we move in this end time period, we will also see that many who claimed Christ will turn from him. But they will not only turn from their faith, they will turn on their families and they will turn on their friends because of their faith. You see, when it's beneficial to claim Christ, everybody claims Christ. When it's no longer beneficial, only those who really believe will claim Christ. When there is a price to be paid, only those who really believe will claim Christ. I've often wondered how many people will quit giving to the church the amount that they do when the IRS finally takes away charitable giving as a tax deduction. I think that's one way to determine where people's hearts really are. You see, people's love will grow cold. John said it this way in 1 John 2. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them really belonged. But then Jesus gives us a final sign. He says that the gospel will be proclaimed to every nation. Notice what he says in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Today, there are still over 6,000 unreached people groups. These are people groups where a very small percentage of people are believers. Uh, There are some missionaries working among them, but there is not a, a, um, a multiplying church planting movement among them. There are over 3,000 unengaged people groups in the world. These are people groups where there is no mission work among them today. But here's the good news. More and more churches like ourselves are stepping up to the plate and saying, this can't be any longer. We have got to share the gospel with those who have never heard. It's not right that people die. And don't hear that there is a Savior that loves them. A Savior who died for them. A Savior who can set them free. And so more and more believers and more and more churches are stepping up to the plate. And they're saying, we will do whatever it takes to reach people. And understand, the gospel is more easily presented today because of technology and so many other things. The Bible has already been translated in 550 languages because of satellite TV, because of the internet, because of shortwave radio, the gospel is being presented in places that it's never been presented before. I was talking to a pastor last night who, the person preaching in their service this morning, they're in their missions conference, and the person who is preaching is, is an Afghan. He was raised in Afghanistan, became a believer, and now he is preaching the gospel in Afghanistan via satellite TV. It's being beamed throughout Afghanistan to those who want to hear. Is that the only way to do it? Absolutely not. Is that the best way to do it? Probably not. But it's one way to do it. The gospel we presented to all nations. And then the end will come. Now when we move to chapter 15... Jesus talks about something called the abomination of desolation and the temple. And this, this Daniel talks about this four times in, in Daniel's prophecy. And, and this is an event that has already occurred but will occur again. It occurred in 167 B.C. when Antigus Epiphanes went into the temple, sacrificed a pig, and made the priest eat pig. It happened again in 70 A.D. when Titus came into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and they began to sacrifice to the gods of the Romans. But Jesus said, it's going to happen again. Daniel said, it's going to happen again. The book of Revelation tells us that it's going to happen again. So we know sometime in the future, maybe not in our lifetime, maybe not when we're here, but sometime in the future... Before Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom, the Jews are going to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. And there will be sacrifices made there. But then the Antichrist will come and he will present sacrifices in that temple. And so Jesus said you need to discern the times. But then he said the second thing you need to do, if you want to know when the end is coming, is you need to compare the times notice what jesus said in verse 37 he said as it is as it was in the days of noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man for in the days before the flood people were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage up to the day noah entered the ark and and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away that is how it will be at the coming of the son of man two men will be in the field one will be taken the other left Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Now, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be when the Son of Man comes back. Now, how was it in the days of Noah? Listen to what it says in chapter 6, verse 5 of Genesis. It says, Then the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. They were living in a wicked day. And God looked down from heaven and he said, I cannot tolerate this wickedness anymore. And I believe that there's going to come a day when God looks down from heaven and he says, I can't tolerate this wickedness anymore. And all of the events that are happening in that end, the, the tribulation and the, the, the moon turning to blood and all of these things which culminate with Jesus coming and setting up his earthly kingdom will happen. But it's going to happen in a time when men are so wicked that God says, I, I can't deal with this anymore. The Apostle Paul talked about this. In Second in, in, um, Timothy chapter 3, but the nine is power, having nothing to, do, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes, gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kind of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. There are some that believe mankind is evolving and becoming more civilized, but the Bible says that's not the case. The opposite is actually true. We aren't becoming more civilized. We're becoming more barbaric. Notice notice what it says. Man is becoming more and more immoral. We're not going to look at all of these words for the sake of time, but, but just look at some of the words Paul uses. He says, they will be lovers of themselves. This is the basic sin from which all other sins flow. We put ourselves on the throne of our lives. We want to be, number one, everything is about us. Is that not the world in which we are living? Men will be lovers of money. The Bible never says there's anything wrong with money. The Bible never says that there's sin in money, but the Bible says that there sin, is sin in loving money. And I'm afraid all too often today that many people love money to the point that they will do anything to get it. Paul says that they are abusive. The word there literally means blasphemer. It refers to someone who speaks evil, generally someone who speaks evil of God. It amazes me how we as a nation are intolerant toward anyone speaking out against anyone else, with one exception. You can speak out against Jesus, you can blaspheme Jesus, you can make fun of Jesus. Anything else is off limits. But Jesus is fair game. He says they are unholy, not lovers of good. We call right wrong and we call wrong right. We're without self-control. We're brutal. I'm sure you heard about the Oklahoma City man who, who cut off the woman's head who was a coworker just two weeks ago. Brutal. We're lovers of pleasure. That, that pretty well sums it up. We're immoral. And then we are ungodly. We have a form of godliness, but we but we don't know its power. We go through the motions, but we've never experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. There's, there's not a shortage of religion in our world. There's a shortage of Jesus or the knowledge of Jesus in our world. Like Janice and Jambres, there are those who imitate the works of God, but they don't know God's real power. And then... In these last days, man will be unaware. Man will be clueless that the end is about to come. Two will be working out in the field and one's going to be taken and the other's going to be left behind. Two women will be grinding meal. One will be taken. One will be left behind. Two kids will be in school. One will be taken and one will be left behind. Two people will be sitting in their cubicle. One will be taken and one will be left behind. Two retirees will be sitting at their kitchen table drinking their morning coffee and one will be taken. One will be left behind. Totally clueless as to what happened. So we need to discern the signs we need to compare the times. Does it look like the time of Noah? And then finally, we need to prepare for his return. Notice what it says in verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. Be diligent. Be ready. In First Thessalonians 5 Paul said this, he said, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Here's what I know. Thieves come when they don't expect us. Thieves come when we're not prepared. And this is not saying that Jesus is trying to catch us off guard. It's just saying that we're going to be totally unprepared, totally unaware, totally clueless to the fact that Jesus is coming. And we're going to be left behind. You see, right now we're living in an age of grace. Right now we're living in the age of the gospel. Right now we're living in the age of whomever will can come. But there's coming a day when that age will end. And understand, there are no second chances at the judgment. We either were ready or we weren't. Here's what I believe. Most people believe that the world as we know it is coming to an end. Most people believe that. The only question is, how is it going to happen? And more importantly than that question is, what happens next? I mean, when this world does come to an end, and it is, and, and I believe we are moving there quickly, what happens next? Jesus said there's only two possibilities Either we spend eternity with him in a new heaven and new earth or we spend eternity with Satan and the demons who rebelled against him in a place called hell in the lake of fire. Those are the only two possibilities. And here's what I'm afraid. Too many of us today are walking through life, minding our own business, and we're unprepared for when Jesus is coming back. And I believe that he could come back at any moment. We don't know when that moment will be, when that last person in that last people group hears the gospel, Receives Jesus, gets saved, and Jesus says, okay, it's time. We don't know when that's going to be. But here's what I know it's going to happen. And if you're not ready, if you're not ready, you will be left behind to face what's next. And you don't want that. You want to be with Jesus. So where are you? I mean, have you really given your life to him? I'm not talking about is your name on a church roll. There are hundreds of thousands, millions of even Southern Baptists that we have no clue where they are. They may have already been raptured for all we know. Just kidding. We don't know where they're at. People who walked an aisle, put their name on a church roll, and, and, and they went, MIA, missing in action. There are many people like that on church rows who have prayed a prayer, who have been dunked in a pool, who have never been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you that if you and I live until that time, and I believe we will when the persecution begins to hit us, We'll see who's real. We'll see who's not. Will you be one of the ones who's real? Will you be one of the ones who will stand up? Will you be one of the ones who are willing to endure to the end? Because Jesus said, those are the ones who are really saved. And I'm here to tell you, the only way that will ever happen, this is the power of God's Holy Spirit living in you. So, I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, here's what I want you to do I want you to ask yourself this question Have I been changed through the power of Jesus coming into my life and saving me? I don't care whether you pray to prayer. I don't care whether you've been baptized. I don't care whether you're a church member. The question is, have I been changed? Because when I accepted Jesus, death on the cross, resurrection from the grave as my only hope of salvation, his spirit came into me and changed me. Because I'm here to tell you, Jesus said you're going to be born again. Paul said you're going to be a new creation. And if that hasn't happened, you're treading on dangerous ground. And you don't want to be there. And so if you can't say this morning, I know that I've been changed through the gospel then I want to encourage you right now to humble yourself before God. Confess your sin, your arrogance, your pride. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. Here's what I want you to pray. Dear Jesus, Jesus, I humbly come to you this morning asking you to forgive me. I've been playing a game. I've been so self-sufficient. Please forgive me. I know I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin for me right here. I'm asking you to save me. Take control of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, with your eyes still closed, both here and at the West Campus, with your head still bowed, with your eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer just then for the very first time and meant it, you may have prayed it a thousand times, but you prayed it today and you meant it with all your heart, and this is the first time you did, would, would you raise your hand right now and keep it raised? If you prayed that prayer with all your heart and you meant it, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Here and at the West Campus, if you prayed that prayer, raise your hand. All righty. We're going to go a step further. Every eye closed, every head still bowed. If you're here and you prayed that prayer and you really did mean what you prayed, then with everyone else's head bowed, everyone else's eyes closed, I want you to stand right now. You say, why? I, I, if you minute, I want you to stand. If you really minute, I want you to stand. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Here in the West Campus, if you minute, stand. Hey, one final thing. If you're here or you're at the West Campus and you prayed that prayer and You raised your hand and you meant it with all your heart. I want you to do one final thing. I want you to come forward and stand to my right. Pastor Steve's going to be down here. Pastor John's going to be down here. I want you to come forward. Say, why? Let me tell you, if you can't stand among people that love you and care for you, you're never going to stand when the persecution comes. So if you really mean business, I want you to come and stand right now saying, I really meant this. I prayed, and I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. If you prayed that, you really meant it, you come. And what we're going to do, every other head bowed, every other eye still closed, what we're going to do is, is our pastors are just going to talk with you and, and share with you and, and answer any questions that you may have. What I want to do right now is I just want to pray Now, I want us to thank God for what he's doing in people's lives. Join me as we pray. Lord God, thank you for life change. Thank you that the gospel is still powerful enough to save. Thank you that your Holy Spirit makes us new people. And Father, I pray... That we will live out that new life in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.